Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Thank you everybody for joining the fourth Sales Ops Demystified. So the first two were just me and Henry chatting. Um, And then the third one was after we had Justin on from AeroCorp and we found that format more engaging. I think we enjoyed that more. Yeah. It's also the result what people were saying. They enjoyed it more as well. So today we have a very special guest. We have Rory Brown of Cluster Intelligence. And again, we're going to be running for about 30 to 45 minutes. We have an idea of the topics that we're going to be covering. Um, but if, if you have anything you want to ask either Henry, who's also experienced in sales ops, and Rory, um, and just ping in the chat. We have Josh here in the room who will be passing those questions through to me. Um, if, so, yeah, if there's anything super specific, <clears throat> we'll come back to you afterwards. True. It's really the best way. Um, and then moving forward as well, we're going to be having, we'll be having a guest, someone who has real actionable sales operations experience on every week, Thursday, 5 p.m. Um, if you have registered for one of these, you'll probably get an email from me asking if you'd like to register again. We might get some kind of solution where if you've registered for one, you get invited to all of them in the future. Well, Josh. Yeah. Um, so I think we're probably going to get started. And the first kind of point that we're going to go into is like an intro to Rory. But what I'd like to say first is that I really like the way you describe what your business does. On above the fold on the homepage, I'm quite aware that that is more marketing. <laughs> but if you could take us through, like, what cluster intelligence does first, and also your experience related to sales and sales operations, and then we'll dive into the questions. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think what you're referring to there is a homepage where it mm. says, "Will you hit target next month?" We already know. Um, so essentially, uh, we built a really smart reporting toolkit for Salesforce, mm-hmm. um, and that is designed to take the data that sits in there and uh, manipulate it and display it in different ways that will basically help us understand how to forecast more accurately, how to forecast from further out and further ahead, how to create revenue more consistently. But more importantly, it's all fueled from the very salespeople that are putting all the data into our CRM. It's about giving them value, giving them visibility, giving them an understanding of how their business works that they never had before. And also that's a huge impact on the quality of reporting you get 
at the top. Got it. How do you, how do you access your products? How, how would I access your products? Uh, it's just a login for web page and almost has a product. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. And then your journey, an interesting you. My journey, so prior to Cluster, I only worked for one business. Mm-hmm. So I worked for a sales training and recruitment company called BMS. Mm-hmm. Started there at 21 through to wherever it was and uh, grew a team in London of about 12, 15 people. So I was, I was really a sales manager. Okay. Did you start off as a sales manager? I started off as a salesperson. Nice. Yeah. And then became sales manager. And what were you selling? Recruitment, training. Uh, to sales businesses. So, and, and so you earned your stripes and you moved your way up to be a sales manager? Yeah, through the, through the, the greasy pole. How, how long are you selling for? I was selling for five, six years. Nice. And then into... Only then did you move into management? Correct. Yeah. Why? Why? The opportunity came up. We needed an office in London. Off your line. Nice. Oh, so, you, so you were selling in a different... You were selling in a different location. Yes, yeah, so we moved locations, uh, and then we—I I was one of the first people there, and then I would hire a team in London. As it grew in London, yeah. So they're like, "Well, we need to go to London and set up a sales team." Is that essentially what happened? Sick. That all happened. Grew nice. nice. And I've never left London since. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then, third year selling for six years, did you say before you mm. came to London? Mm. And then, how long were you managing? Uh, so I was managing for three or four years, and then. Um, me and my business partner started Cluster. Cool. Yeah. And what kind of inspired you to start the business? Was it because you could see that you 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 weren't being able to use the data that you've got in your CRM? Mm. Was it? It was it was a mixture of challenges that I had as a manager, uh, getting visibility of how the hell we're going to land and mm-hmm. how we're performing. And the one to ones with salespeople, where you're a bit like scratching around for a spreadsheet of how they perform and what the key metrics are, and everyone's a bit getting a calculator out and rustling around. Nice. Um, and also I had a lot of confidence because my business partner was an actuary. So he did mathematical modern modeling and big insurance. Face, uh, brain, you know, you get the rest of the, the story. But so one topic that has come up a couple of times <clears throat> is about how uh, having actual sales experience and then coming into a sales operations or management role. So I have a couple of questions. First is, when you were a sales manager, <clears throat> did you find that you were doing sales operations <clears throat> Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And do you think that your six years of sales experience helped you in that operations and management role? Um, it's a really good question. I think I think coming through the sales route gives you the empathy when you're going backwards and speaking to the sales people. Mm. doesn't necessarily give you the technical nose. So you, you're in there understanding the problem and, and feeling for people, but you're not necessarily that well equipped to quickly uh, produce and, and distribute a solution. So it's, it's a bit of a, a catch-22 really coming through that angle, I'd say. So you have part of the skill set, but then you won't necessarily have this other part. Yeah, cool. definitely. Interesting. Yeah. Because our, the gap we had last week, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Henry, but have never been a salesperson. Yeah, so I don't okay. think Justin's been a salesperson. Um, he was in sales ops, mm. and then moved into sales management. Yeah. I mean, I think I think some... Uh, distancing yourself from salespeople to be to be a sales manager is quite important, mm. and I think the same relationship needs to happen with sales operations. Sales operations is kind of the intermediary between a sales manager and a salesperson. Mm. They're kind of the connection, aren't they? Mm. And so they can sometimes be the shoulders cry on a lot of the time. I mean, for you, right now you essentially have all three roles. Yeah, yeah, all squished into one. Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So I think that, like, Henry, do you have any more questions about, like, Kafka or no, Lloyd's journey? No, I think that's really cool. Um, so we have three points that we like to discuss, quite tech-focused, I think. Um, yeah. So we'll move through them. And then, Josh, do you have anything? No? <clears throat> no questions yet. Um, okay, Henry, I'm going to pass it on to you. What your sales data can tell you about the right technology to employ. So uh, it's a, it's quite a broad topic. Mm. Um, how do you do it at Cluster? What, what are you doing uh, uh, with with data in the, in the sales funnel? And how 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 can you use that easily? How can people watching this take something away and actually use their data to, to their advantage to, to make more money? Sure. Yeah. I'm, 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 uh, I'm thinking as a broad topic. So the first thing I think before we get into anything nitty gritty, it's understanding what mode your business is currently in. So are you the scrappy, plucky, growing business where mm -hmm. getting revenue as fast as you can is what it's all about? Mm -hmm. Are you at the beautiful stage of building this wonderful, predictable, repeatable, process-led engine that's polished and when you present to investors, all your key metrics are trending in the right direction? You know, or are you a mature, PE-backed business that's trying to grow 6%? So which are you? Which one do you think? <laughs> the first one I mentioned. So, <laughs> so, so don't aim for perfection early on. Is that what you say? Is that what you try and say? Well, try to get the basic fundamentals of the, the framework correct. Yeah, and then it's easier to scale from that. Correct. Yeah, and I think. Well, as I said, so it's it's bearing in mind what mode you're in right now. Um, if you are if you are the plucky business trying to get revenue, you're going to be employing tech to help you sell faster, and that's it. And it could be at the sacrifice of polished processes. But if you're in that middle stage where you're about you know, building this repeatable process, then the tech you employ might be quite different because the, the okay. aims of the business at that point are quite different. Okay. Um, so if you had if you had <coughs> just your CRM, hmm. what would you, and you didn't, and you had limited time, limited funds, what would, what's the first thing you would do? Uh, good question. I, is, it, is it take on more technology? Or do you should you spend time and effort to get your CRM correctly configured, maximize that, and then bring on other solutions? I think, yeah, good point. So I think the first step would be, we're talking about Salesforce, which most of us are on. Mm. It's about setting up a really slick, easy way of using it. Okay. Move your deals through the stages, set up how your leads work, set up how your contacts work, make it easy. Don't overcomplicate it. You've only got a few salespeople. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you decide? So, some businesses use um, accounts, uh, contacts, and opportunities for their entire entire sales process, mm -hmm. and some use leads, then converted through to opportunities, accounts, contacts. Yeah. How do, how does a business decide what to do and where? You know, because it's not it's not. It, I think it depends on the business. Mm -hmm. If correct me if I'm wrong, totally. maybe the sales cycle and who you're selling to. Yeah. How do you, how do you decide those things? Well, for us, we split it very uh, easily, and leads are marketing-driven, contacts are outbound-driven. Okay. Pretty simple. Um, but as you say, I've seen very different uh, permutations of that, and it, it totally depends on how you want to structure it as a business. I've seen people that, because they come from HubSpot as a CRM, they've got rid of leads totally, and they just work on contacts, mm -hmm. uh, and then they ignore the lead object completely. Because we do something slightly different as well, right? Well, we, so we were using uh, accounts, contacts, opportunities, um, partly because we're an ISV, so 
um, the way all of our customers are obviously linked into our own Salesforce. Um, however, we have moved to using leads again. Okay. Um, mainly because <clears throat> I think it's it's slightly easier for us to divide up between teams and probably scale a bit faster using leads. Mm. Um, it gives us gives us clarity of roles, makes reporting slightly easier. Yeah. I find. Yeah. Um, so that's why we decided to go that way. I'm not saying it's super easy. I'm not saying it's like 100 percent right. It's just it's. I think it was. The, I think it's the right way to go. It will never be 100 percent right. Will it? No. I don't think I've ever seen one that is. So yeah, should probably get that out of our heads. It'd be interesting to see people watching. Um, you know what they employ if if they're doing account based or if they're using leads. I'd be quite interested to know yeah. if that's split. Yeah. Cool. Anything else on this one? I mean, I think we could talk all day. Yeah, <laughs> I probably could, yeah. Um, feel free to carry on. Cool. <clears throat> okay, so here's back. Yeah, looking at the technology, I guess using the data mm. that you're getting, mm. what technology do you choose and how would you then employ it? So I'm a big fan of using metrics in the sales funnel. To work out what technology do you need and it can be quite common for people to think well I'll, I'll look at the worst conversion rate of my entire contact to close journey and I'll focus on that but actually what I think is more powerful is if you're able to get that data at the salesperson level what you're probably looking for is the greatest spread in terms of a conversion rate between each salesperson so if you are like qualification to opt and you've got the difference between someone's converting 10% and someone's converting 65. Yeah. That, for me, is where you start to focus because the process is utterly, totally off. Right? So that's a big opportunity. Big opportunity. So you think, instead of looking at the overall conversion from top to bottom, yeah. you can look like the data in a slightly different way yeah. and find a salesperson who is potentially underperforming. Yeah. And then that's an area where you can look to optimize. Yeah, so I think it's, for me, it's the it's where there's the greatest gap on a metric between two salespeople. Yeah. yeah, because that tells you that there's the the interpretation of what that process is mm. is too open. I.e., yeah. it's probably not a process. Got it. It's down to what each individual Got thinks it. it is, and that's your opportunity to create a process, yeah. which will then nice. you, you know you've got sixty five, right? Yeah. So you can get sixty five. Mm. So you can get ten. Yeah. To sixty five. Yeah, I mean you need to you need to, so you need to understand. Why is that person getting 65%? Yeah. You, you have to understand it in detail, and that's why people use things like uh, call uh, analytics, trying to understand, you know, think, you know, as a sales call happens, you know, how many steals are happening on the call, mm -hmm. understanding all, those, all that data. But I think it's such a... It, it's, I mean, is that something you do early on, or do, you do, do people do that only when they're optimising, when, when they're trying to eke out those extra... You know, are we talking yeah. about small businesses or larger businesses? Or it's a good question. This is the big challenge of this discussion, isn't it? In that we are, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the audience are. I'm guessing we're probably all in kind of SaaS tech type environments. Um, we actually we should profile the audience. If anybody yeah. would like to share the industry, you can. Um, yeah, I wouldn't assume anything there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, I think that's that's the greatest place where technology could be employed because I think technology should be about building a process. Mm -hmm. Which, which is so good for the business in its long-term health. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, is the greatest opportunity to put a process in place. Do you Have you seen that 
ink up there and have you you have it actually that way I'm putting on the spot here. <laughs> oh, <goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> where, you, where you've <clears throat> been maybe I, I don't, obviously don't pick out a salesperson, but maybe a process that you've implemented that has had a, a one of those stages that have had a good result. And it don't worry if not, I know I've just put you on the spot. No, it's fine. I mean it's quite quite obvious actually and it's one that uh one of the first things discussions we will have with our customers mm-hmm. is we'll walk into the onboarding and we'll say right in front of the sales manager to the salespeople what is an opportunity and just wait and watch the debate unfold uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's amazing how many people haven't got that that entry criteria for an opportunity later interesting and of course everything after that is shot because yeah. because it means that they're all using the stages differently as well yeah i mean yeah you've got to you've got to have a process that's clearly defined in the business and that and also you've got to keep qualifying i think we discussed it in a previous mm-hmm. webinar you have to keep qualifying throughout the sales process oh totally every single stage it should be re-evaluated yeah so so how would you then like does it not really matter what the definition of an opportunity is, as long as it's consistent across the organisation and everyone understands? If what it means to the business and it's consistent across the people that are using it, that's that's really what all that matters. Cool. So the business can yeah. forecast effectively. Sweet. Yeah. One of the knock-on effects for sure. So do you think there's going to be a difference between how EFTA classes an opportunity and how class the class is an opportunity? I definitely think there will be. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've definitely been, I've been asked before. Or what do our what do other co- com- you know, companies in our sector class as an opportunity? That well, it's really not relevant to your business. What what is important is that it's aligned within your business, and then that's what matters. Cool. Don't look don't look to what other people call an opportunity. It's it's, it's less important, I would say. So is that one of the first things you did at Cluster if you're building the sales process is have a clear definition of yeah, what is not what is not and how do you have it stayed the same? Inside, yeah, it's it's evolved, it's evolved, right. but uh, but it still has the same fundamentals. Yeah, cool. So that that consistency will be there from the off. Got it. Whereas I've been into mature businesses where it's still not there, and it just wreaks havoc across the sales funnel. Can we have a question? Uh, what are some things from Justin? And I don't know if that's Justin from last week. What are some of the best metrics that provide coaching opportunities for younger sellers? Best That's metrics. a good question. Thank you, Justin. It's quite, it's quite a few. Um, so, again, I, I like to focus on the funnel if, if the data is okay and it's there. So, the first thing I would be looking at is things like um, conversion rates between each stage of your funnel, so you know where their bottlenecks are immediately. Mm-hmm. Make that very visual. You can then coach on that on that particular issue and go back and see if the metrics improving. Yeah. But is, um, yeah, is there like a specific one that especially with younger sellers, you'll see that that might need to be optimized or, or do they not matter if they're young or old? I'd say if they coach if they've been coached correctly, I think I think you can Yeah, it's all about good coaching. Mm-hmm. I think to give them the confidence and the process to stick to. Mm-hmm. But would uh so but I think the question they're asking if they had a younger seller and an older seller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a point in the funnel where a young seller would probably need more coaching or not? Yeah, I would say um I would say what you're gonna find with younger sellers is that the way that you coach them automatically, you coach them top down. So they're gonna be struggling more at the latter stages of the funnel than they are at the top. Okay. Um so metrics you might want to be looking at is you know, when you start to get into pricing negotiations, mm-hmm. that part of the funnel 
what is the key metric around that particular area, which is typically later down the line. Mm. And they might not be doing it so often as well. Exactly. Yeah. It might happen less often in those kinds of discussions. Yeah, cool. So they need more coaching. Yeah. Hope that answer your question, Justin. <laughs> um, okay, well, well, we're talking about opportunities and how it's really important to have that clear definition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else that's really important or any other definition or process that's really important to have to find? Or if every stage of the process needs to be fully defined. I think every stage needs to be fully defined. The whole thing has to be like perfect, like fully defined. No, because everyone hopes for perfection, but you won't get it. Yeah, like it's a journey to get there. Okay, cool. But that's a, a, a key stage is to have an opportunity fully defined. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's back to qualification. What's your criteria? Mm -hmm. At each stage. Yeah. Nice. So let's say I've FQL, right? So what are the qualification criteria like? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Right. Also, it's about taking your, once you start analysing pipeline, mm -hmm. if you know it's being created at a consistent point, mm -hmm. you know that what you're looking at in terms of coverage and how fast you're booking it and all these metrics and you're planning ahead and spotting gaps, you know it's reliable because at least it's being created in unison. If it's not, like, you can't rely on that information as well and it becomes very challenging mm -hmm. to, to hit target, basically. Okay. <clears throat> Let's move on to our final point. Interesting. Henry. <laughs> Henry, tell me more about this. <laughs> How to build credibility with the team using data. Well, I think, so is this in relation to bringing technology to a business for them to then see benefits? That you're so it's driving adopt, salespeople adoption in the yeah. tech market. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, well, they've got to see the value in it, haven't they? Mm -hmm. Because salespeople traditionally hate any kind of change in process, and sales ops people are normally driving those kind of changes within a sales yeah. team. So they have to see value from it. And but what I want to pick you up on here is mm -hmm. define the word value, right? And is it value for the business or value for them and the paycheck? I think ultimately it's their paycheck. Yeah. And so, actually, the word value is another way you can you describe the word like subjective prioritization. Right? So, how how can they see that this tool is going to make them more money? I'm not saying all salespeople think like that. Well, I think if you can if you can get salespeople to earn more money, the business will therefore benefit, won't it? For sure. So they work hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to use data to do that, Rory? <laughs> it's about making it accessible and visible. So. Mm -hmm. So again, for me, <clears throat> salespeople are um, in a world where they're constantly being told what to do to hit this KPI, to follow this process. It's very, management still hasn't caught up with the modern way that uh, yeah. salespeople think and how, who they are and how they, how they act and what they're after in life. So it's still a little bit disconnected and it's very kind of top down. So mm -hmm. what, one thing you can do to build credibility and to, to bolster a new initiative is to visualize the improvement. Nice. So this is going back into the metrics and the data and saying, right, we employed this technology um, six months ago, right? And the adoption's been okay to good. Yeah, but this part of the funny we're looking to tackle, mm -hmm. we had 200 grand a week dropping out when we started, we now got 120 grand a week dropping out. Nice. So 60 grand a week is staying in your pipeline between you. Because of this tool. Because of this tool. Mm -hmm. Make it visual, make them realise, and then just, you know, as as, uh, as you said, just pop it right up to the commission at the end, saying that's uh, uh, about £10,000 extra comms you've been earning over the last six months, so yeah. congratulations. Always bring it back to the commission. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, it depends on your business. It could be about 
you know, bringing on more clients and delivering more value or whatever it is that you know people get excited by. Yeah, being on this connection. Have you ever taken on some technology in cluster that that's made a, a radical difference? Yeah, we've got quite a decent tech stack. Yeah, what, what, what does it look like your tech stack? So we've got outreach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do a lot of um, a lot of campaigns and sequences, mm-hmm. which are either outbound campaigns, mm-hmm. which are a little bit more like uh, value prop led, mm-hmm. or we do inbound yeah. campaigns. Sorry to jump in. Yeah, I'm quite interested as a, more of a marketer, like how you get someone who has no idea who you are to start engaging through email or, or how you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And for those outbound campaigns, obviously you don't share the secrets, but what if have been working, like what what do you say or offer in the email to get people to engage? I think I think it's got to be very value led. Like you've, you've mm. generally got to give them a bit of information on an email or on a video or on a direct mail handwritten note or mm. on a voicemail. The little thing, flipping it, I might try that. And as soon as you got them thinking that, and then you follow up more credibly, credibly, cool. you back that up with more value. Eventually, they're going to think. Probably want to speak to this person at some point because they know quite a few things. How many how many touch points in a <clears throat> traditional campaign? Could be sixteen plus. Mm-hmm. Easy. Nice. Yeah. Um, so we've got outreach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got outreach. We use Vidyard. We're we're outreach. We do personalized videos. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking to one called Twenty Three, which is a like a UK based competitor. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so, so does that correct me if I'm wrong? But you can record one video and it will insert custom stuff into it. Is that right? Well, we use the free version. Of yeah, course. so so Vidyard, you can do things like you can, like you can on a webinar, you can share your screen, do a quick demo. Oh, okay, cool. But the benefits are, from we've used it briefly, it's um, you can drop if you're in Gmail, you can just drop it straight into a, oh, really? a Gmail. So you just click one button, so and do a quick little video, chuck it in, and bang it. So it's actually quite, it's quite good. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's quite good tool. Yeah, I don't know what the pro the pro version offers. Lots of fancy stuff. Right. Call to actions and I thought there is videos over there where you can record one video and say the name of the business or the name of the person you're reaching out to and then have like like a mail merge but in video. But that's like I'm not sure if that's it, like, it, it's, it, it's not like it, I know I think I heard I've heard about that solution, but it's not quite like that. But you okay. can quick it's about it's about speed. So you can spend, you know, two minutes making a video for, for one prospect. You probably wouldn't do twenty in a day, you might do three or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many? How many do you, would you take? Well, we we're we're hyper personalised, so actually we do a video per person. Do you? Uh, yeah, but that's just our approach. We're not yeah. volume led. Uh, yeah, sure. Sure. Um, uh, so, Vidyard outreach. Uh, Salesforce. Uh, we use Gemini, which is a really cool tool. Well, it's a WebEx, a dialer, a coaching tool, all built into one. It's really, really, really slick. Um, we use Cluster for our reporting and taking our funnels on track. Um, what else do we use? And we've got HubSpot and marketing. Sites. Oh, nice. So you're connecting HubSpot and Salesforce. Yeah. It's going to join. Really? Yeah. So we, for the audience's uh, benefit, we're being, we've been wrestling with Pardot and Salesforce. And the connection is quite good, but we've inherited anyway. That's a long story. Um, maybe we should do, we should do one on connecting. Yeah, yeah. Marketing CRM to marketing automation because I think that's would that fit under sales ops? It's right. a combination of sales. And, <coughs> might be marketing. I think, marketing. I think more and more it, it, it will involve sales ops because that that niche that initial uh, technical integration mm-hmm. is where the whole them and us sales and marketing yeah. divide can start to happen. Mm-hmm. If everyone's not involved in that connection, then yeah. you, you you set the the theme off on uh-huh. that on that foot. I think of a trend that I'm. 
So I'm new to the sales ops space, but a trend I'm seeing is that people are actually saying that maybe it isn't, it shouldn't just be like sales ops, marketing ops, customer success ops. It's actually potentially one team. What are your thoughts on that? RevOps. RevOps. Yeah, what do you think? Well, RevOps is already quite big in the States. Really? Um, so what you, te- what you see in the States with the bigger companies, if you've got your, your sales ops, your marketing ops, your CS ops, mm. and then your RevOps manages the three, three teams, but they all work in a, in a team. Cool. Rather than working in the sales team and the CS team and the marketing yeah. team, they're a hub. It's, it's also, yeah. the Rev, would RevOps then be, be looking at the technology and saying, okay, so the sales ops team are using this type of technology, marketing are using this, is there, is there anything they can use across the board? A platform and they can use a singular platform because otherwise you get pockets mm-hmm. you know different teams using different technology in the business that means different data sets which isn't always the right thing to do is it? wouldn't yeah. they ideally all be using salesforce or not uh, i mean yeah, I, you, you guys are using hubspot so yes typically be using things like gainsight and to tango and then that's yeah these sorts of things um marketing obviously and the marketing theorem sales so they are quite so for hubspot now i have three products for marketing sales, I believe, and customer success. Is that right? I don't know they're the CS product. I think they do. I'm not kidding on this site. Josh, can you really go to hubspot.com? <laughs> um, how how customizes your Salesforce? Fairly. Yeah, yeah we've got um, a lead workflow, a contact workflow, and a opportunities workflow, mm-hmm. and they all intertwine. Um, the, the most the most technically difficult has been the hubspot integration. Okay. So it's bringing up Salesforce list with all the stuff we want to see. Based on the HubSpot activity, there's okay. been more work on that than anything else. So, um, I'm just going to jump in here quickly. Go for it. This is for the audience. You can actually just go to HubSpot.com, <laughs> but HubSpot does have three three products: um, Sales Hub, Marketing Hub, Service, service, service app, which I think so it's quite interesting, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 Cool. And that's something that I'm seeing more and more. It's quite interesting. I think something that we can because like. If that is the case, then we're, we're called sales off demystified, but maybe we should be revolts demystified. So, what do you think? Yeah. I think revolts demystified. It's, it's catchy. <laughs> so, if you um, if you have a limited budget, yeah, wh- where do you spend your money first? If you're gonna if you're gonna go out to the market, look on the app exchange, discuss mm-hmm. products. What, what what are you getting first? If you're a if you have a sales team. What do you give them first? Do you give them a dialer? Do you give them email integration? What, what do you do? That's a good point. I saw I forgot to use Ring Central. Uh, yeah, telephone's pretty important still, even. <laughs> uh, but bar the obvious, I think top of the funnel is where we'd look first. So for us, even though we're quite targeted, we're not after volumes and volumes of contacts. We're at, we're at, we're quite keen to, to add them to Salesforce as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So tools that cut corners in the in the stuff that salespeople have to do manually, like adding a contact and filling out their information and checking if you've already got them, like all that annoying stuff that's probably where i go first because when you're when you're new you haven't got much money to spend and your salespeople are like literally going to find whether the business makes it or not mm. at that point if you can free up their time in the biggest way possible that's what i would do first okay yeah nice i'm saving so it's about making those big gains to start with and then optimizing later yeah i think optimizing comes much later getting them on the phone phone on the email or on video how much selling time do they have anything that moves that Percentage up. Uh-uh. That's really because I think you'd be surprised how how much time <clears throat> salespeople spend just simply trying to find someone to call, mm-hmm. trying to prospect to. Yeah, and I think that's that. If you can if you can reduce that time and make them be effective, then it's worth it. Isn't it? And one thing that we were talking about actually is 
is there one metric that a sales operations team can use to define the sales team? Mm-hmm. And do you think, I just had an idea then, mm-hmm. it could be time selling? Like it. What? Like, and, and so, so that the England rugby time selling, selling for head. Yeah, yeah so, so it, comes back to, it's, it's, it comes back to rugby. So Eddie Jones, um, Eddie Jones? the head coach for, for England rugby. So his single metric he has across the team, so forwards and backs, is um, the amount of time, well, how quickly players get up off the floor. So he has one metric he can judge everyone by. And it's very, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's how quickly they can get up. Okay. Okay, so because if you're on the floor and you're playing rugby, you're no good for anyone. But if you're on your feet, you can make tackles, you can pass balls. So it's a, it's a simple metric across the board that everyone can easily understand. And mm-hmm. it is something I've heard that he, he prizes mm-hmm. quite highly. So he, he, he probably has a team or he can somehow measure that quite easily. Maybe there's someone just timing I don't know. But how would you do this with the sales team? We'll have Optistats. <laughs> doing like four of them. Well, we've got a CRM system with data in it. So we've got no excuse, really. But if someone then going, has to go to LinkedIn to like, I don't know. Is it, is it going to be possible to do this? Yeah, I would. I would think uh, the easiest way, given a sales ops job, is to is to understand these issues. Mm. Um, shadowing, you got the time to do it. Shadow your sales team. Watch, watch, watch them. Time it. Yeah, <laughs> time it. Maybe we should start doing that. Yeah. So I think we've got another oh, question. question. Oh, a big one, Justin Knuckles. How do you best measure success and keep sales professionals engaged in enterprise sales situations where sales cycle is 12, 12 plus months and just need one to two sales per year uh, and that could exceed quota? That's a great question, Justin. Yeah, awesome question. Anybody experience with these big deals? The super long sales cycles. I've just been working on this. So but traditionally, we're going back to commission schemes earlier and... These people that we talk about, Justin was talking about, um, it's a long time until they realise their paycheck. Right? Sometimes they can start a year before they get their first commission check. Yeah. So if you've got trust in your sales funnel and you can take it all the way back to opportunity, prior activities, engagement, all that sort of stuff, what, what is quite controversial, but what you can do is you can set up commission schemes or, or sub-commission schemes nice. based on metrics that are much higher up the funnel Interesting. and you can actually you can celebrate and gamify those metrics yeah. as if it was revenue so number at number of opportunities some of opportunities added uh, pipeline added uh, qualification calls attended um yeah. you know i don't know people people engaged in a certain commission structure that's a commission structure nice so have you guys done that that's commission structure just linking it to the culture of what's celebrated no. and what gets the early finish in the pub and uh, what gets the pattern back? You know? Have you done that at Cluster? I've seen clients do it. Okay. Uh, by and they've actually been using clusters to, as the kind of oh, core nice. mechanism. But awesome. it, it's quite controversial, but it, I think it works really, really well because what you're doing is you're driving the right behaviour at, mm. at a at a point in the funnel, no, which is is a point a point you can um, if you drive that. Mm. Rewarding when it's already happened is too late. You yeah. want to reward all the good stuff that happens yeah. more yeah. frequently. Especially if it's a year before someone might get yeah. the commission. That's a yeah. really good answer. That's yeah. really good. Nice. Well, that was hey, have you ever had seen that before? In any no, way? I think that's. I think that's really. That's a, it's a great idea. I think. Yeah. I guess it's, it's unique to every business. Um, if you've yeah. got short sales cycles, then it's a close one. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Any more questions, Josh? No, we're good. Um, okay. Cool. Have we covered building? Well, I think we kind of done 
diverged away from the credibility, so drive adoption. Make it visible. Make, make it, it visible. visible. Make and, it visible. And, and link show, back. show them results. Yeah. And show them results at a personal level. Cool. This mm-hmm. is how much extra you've made because we employed this technology. And if and if you're trying to build credibility before, then um, it's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But you want to try and get from your vendor and they should have this. The, 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 the expected return for an individual contributor. And so if you've got if you've got a team of salespeople and um, you've got salespeople that have been there for a long time, how important is it to get those? And they might be the most successful salespeople. Yeah. Getting them to use the technology and them see value in it as well. And don't let them not use it. That's really important, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've got to drive that behavior. Common you know, problem. The younger salespeople have to see the old salespeople or more experienced salespeople using the technology to their advantage and then they'll follow suit. Is that, do you think that's really true? Yeah, I think that's a very difficult one and it's um, it's really hard, as you say, someone who's doing really well revenue-wise for the business, convince them this is important. But then you would have taken a huge step back and asked them, well, okay, what are you actually doing here? Why are you at this business? If you're here because you're, you're entwined with our values, you want it to flourish. Mm. If it's going to flourish, we need a predictable model. Mm. That's going to happen. Nice. You need to lead by example. Have you had that discussion? Well, I've, I've, I've had the discussion before. I'm sure the discussion happens across the land. I really like that. But people can be afraid to have that conversation mm. with senior salespeople. Then you've got to ask if you're afraid or you can't have it and they're not rational about the conversation. Mm. Yeah. Do they embody what the company's about and should they be there? That's really nice. I, I love how you brought in the value to that before going into why you need the process. Yeah. I really, that's really nice. Yeah, sweet. Um, okay, cool. We need probably to wrap up in the next few minutes. Okay. Henry, do you have any other questions on your sheet? So I think um, there's a couple of questions. So who in the business is accountable for good data? I think, you know, data is critical to making good business decisions, good reporting, you know, all those good things. So yeah, the easy, the easy answer is to say everyone, but there's different layers within that. So the responsibility comes from the top mm-hmm. and that they've got to create an ethos and a culture where people recognize the importance of this. And going back to my previous comment where the right behaviors are celebrated, not just mm-hmm. patting the, the, the person on the back who's made the most money. We could have done an absolute, you know, shambles. absolute shambles, farce and all to, to get there. Mm-hmm. And everyone's thinking, well, I don't need to do that. So I think the responsibility ultimately comes from the top. Mm-hmm. And also, when it comes from the top, it's things like at a sales meeting, uh, not having a sales manager who's downloaded an Excel sheet with numbers in it and then made a graph. Yeah. It's about reporting in the systems that everyone's using day-to-day live data. Totally. Yeah. But I think we also remember that, um, you know, as, as, we, as, we're, as we're all pretty much employing, you know, 60% of our sales workforce are millennials now. You know, these people are very educated, they're very capable. They uh, they have they have a sense of purpose and and, and, and they want to master their craft. Mm-hmm. So there is still an awful lot of responsibility. If you know if you are a salesperson, you know, for goodness sake, you know be a modern salesperson and don't just just pull your toys out of the pram because I don't know because someone else was doing something different. And do any businesses have you know have amazing data or does everyone suffer? Mm-hmm. I think everyone's got amazing data. Uh, colourful. They just don't know uh, how, how to use it. Or they yeah, yeah. I, I think um, it's a really interesting question. So, so every every potential client we speak with will say um, our data and sales isn't very good. And um, and ultimately, when you get in there, 
you know, maybe one in eight or one in nine are right. Mm -hmm. But the rest, actually, it's very, very usable. Um, they've just been saying that as a way to put off the inevitable yeah, building yeah. out a neat process. Yeah. Um, there's a lot there's a lot about, you know, CRMs these days are so good. They've got timestamps, they've got change data, they've got all this micro data mm -hmm. going on that we can use to our advantage. So there's an awful lot more in there than you think. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost too much. There's almost too much data to crunch through. Yeah, your your job at Tales Ops is to organise it and make it when it when it becomes visualised, mm -hmm. it, it tells a story that everyone can get behind and that reimburses the whole the whole process. Nice. Cool. Um so that brings us to the end of Tales Ops Demystified number four. <laughs> um if anybody would like to talk to Henry, we don't really talk much about Ebster here. No. But Henry's there, that's his email. And also if anybody's interested in I guess data in the sales process. That if they're interested in that, they potentially be interested. If you want to forecast better, you want to report better, you then want to email is useful. And Rory at cluster.com. Um, Rory, there was a couple of really big insights there. I'm going to try and remember them. There was the one about bringing the commission higher up the, the funnel, and there's yeah. one more about the value thing I really like. Yeah. Two great little nuggets that I'm going to bring out and right below the video. Cool. Um, Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Um, and yeah, we will be distrib distributing the slides and a recording to everybody who has attended. Um, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales of Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.